We started a series last week called Creed. It's about the Apostles' Creed, which is uh, recited around the world and throughout the centuries. And so there's this synergy when we as Christians in modern times look at the creed or recite the creed because there are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world today and throughout the centuries who have done the exact same thing. And mostly, this is a statement, a creed is simply a document that says this is the stuff that we believe. And so that's why we're looking at it. It's a, it we, we look at it from a scriptural perspective. And, and here's the reason. The question is, does it matter what you believe? Let me give you a couple of scenarios, and you tell me if it matters what you believe. You're driving, and there is somebody in front of you, and you're approaching an intersection with a traffic light, and the light turns yellow. Does it matter if you believe the guy in front of you is going to go through the light, as God intended, or they're going to stop short? Does it matter what you believe? It does matter, right? Does it matter what you believe when you buy something online and they ask for your credit card information and you give it to them? Does it matter that you believe that's secure or not? Does it matter what you believe when you buy that non-fat ice cream and you think it's going to help you not only retard fat from your body, you think it's going to make you skinny. Does it matter what you believe? And the answer is... Yes. Now, here's the truth. Just because I believe something doesn't make it true. All right? Just because I believe it. I'll give you a personal illustration. At my house, we, um, we did a little remodel when we first got there. And one of the things I did was change out the, um, the light fixtures, the light, what are these things called? The outlets. I changed out the outlets because they were a color I didn't like, and I wanted to put white, white outlets and white outlet covers. It's cleaner, I like the look in the kitchen, I watch some home improvement shows, and JoJo from that one show, that's what you, that's what you do. So I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Now, when one is changing outlets, it is important to go to the breaker box. My house, it's in like a little room, you flip open the thingy, and I read on there and it said, kitchen outlets. I clicked her off because this is more than a hat rack. I know that it makes sense for me to turn off the electricity. So I'm changing out the outlets. Now, here's a fun little fact. Did you know that occasionally there's more than one breaker for the kitchen outlets? Especially for your refrigerator. This is good information. This would have been great information for me when I went to change out the outlet for the refrigerator because <laughs> it wasn't on the same outlet. It wasn't on the same breaker, I mean. So, I got a nice little shocking surprise when I tried to change that thing out. Now, what's really interesting is I went back to my breaker box to look, and on the breaker box it says kitchen refrigerator. I just didn't do the research. Here's the trouble. I can believe something, I can believe it wholeheartedly, and it still could be wrong. We live in a world and in a society where it's becoming more and more common for people to say, I believe this because this is how I feel. My feelings are directing my belief. This is the problem. 
because my feelings can change. In fact, my feelings do change. I might have had a bad piece of pizza the night before. My feelings this morning are vastly different than the mornings where I have something else for dinner. Our feelings can be deceptive. And it's a challenge to the Christian message because Christians believe what's in Scripture. But what if what's in Scripture makes me feel bad? Because sometimes what's in Scripture makes you feel bad. I found a little poem that kind of talks about where we are in a society right now. It's called, It All Depends. And I'm, a, I'm quite a poet uh, myself, so I thought I would read it to you because I love poetry. You know, I'm sitting around reading poetry all the time. How about you? You, you too? Yeah, me too. It all depends on who you are, if you're from here or from afar. It all depends on how you feel, because how you feel is what is real. It all depends on how you're raised. It all depends on what's been praised. What you, sh- what you say should not bring sorrow. What's right today is wrong tomorrow. It all depends on your point of view. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. If tastes just happen to agree, well, then we'll have morality. But where there are conflicting trends, we must conclude it all depends. We live in a world that's ever increasingly teaching that it all depends. It's situational. What we believe has to do with the situation. And so what the Apostles' Creed is doing for us and what we're doing is learning something called orthodoxy. Orthodoxy simply means the established way of thinking. The church as a whole, not not all denominations, not everybody, but as a whole, for centuries and around the world, believe the things we're talking about. And so, today we're at the very first sentence, I believe. And and so let's look at the creed all together, and then we'll kind of back up and we'll talk about the one section that we're going to talk about. But the creed goes like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. The creed is about a hundred words long, a little over 110, 111, something like that. But it begins with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And it makes sense that you believe and that you begin with God because the Bible begins with God. Genesis 1.1, if you've ever read your scriptures, says, in the beginning, God. The, the Bible just presupposes that God is. In philosophy, this is called the proper basic. It's something that you have to understand in order for everything else to make sense. Biblically, the thing you have to understand is that there is a God, that that there is one, and we believe in this God. Now, let's dissect the word believe just for a second, because this, to me, is kind of of interesting. The Greek word is pestuo, but but the way English people, the way we use the word believe, and the way the Greeks use the word believe, quite different. Now, let me give you an example. I can say, I believe that the Kentucky basketball team will win the national championship. That is false belief. Uh, It's hope. At that point, that's hope. But we use the word believe. I could also say, I believe Abraham Lincoln is from Kentucky. Well, 
That's a stated fact. It's true, and I believe it, and it is true. I can say, I believe macaroni and cheese is the best meal there is. That is what we call stupid. Uh, So, you can believe things that are true. You can believe things that aren't true. But when the Bible uses the word believe, it it literally, literally means I believe into something. So, if I were to go to the doctor... And the doctor were to run some tests, and I were to come back later for the diagnosis, and he were to say to me, I have bad news, um, you have cancer. Our tests indicate you have cancer, and it's life-threatening. However, however, we have chemotherapy, and if you take this, even though it's difficult, the process is difficult, there is a great chance that you can conquer cancer in this instance. Now... When I say I believe my doctor, that doesn't mean I believe he's a doctor, or I even believe I have cancer, or I believe that that this chemotherapy will heal me. When I I say I believe my doctor, to put my money where my mouth is, that's when I roll up my sleeve and I take the infusion of the medicine that he says is going to heal me. I can believe about him But it really doesn't do me any good in this instance until I believed into him, into his knowledge. So, when I say I believe in Jesus with my whole heart, that's a whole different kind of statement. Because I'm saying I believe into him. In fact, I put it this way. Believing in Jesus means to trust him so completely that if if he can't take us to heaven, then you're not going to go. Like, this is my one shot at heaven, I believe. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is not ambiguous. It doesn't leave options. It is a statement that Jesus made. And if we believe him, it means this is the thing I have to believe. I've got to pour myself into this belief. So we say, I believe. And today we're looking at I believe in God the Father. And we as a community of followers of Jesus believe this very thing. What's interesting to me is Christians aren't the only ones who believe that there's a God. Uh, A recent Gallup poll discovered that 89% of Americans, 9 out of 10, believe in God. That's nearly all of us. I mean, almost everybody believes in God. And what's super interesting to me was the people who don't believe in God. This is a crazy statistic. 11% of people who don't believe in God pray. Who do they pray to? I mean, have you ever wondered this? I I mean, what that says to me is, we as Americans, we believe in God, even if we can't agree on what God we believe in. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1-1 just presupposes that there is a God. There's a guy named Martin Luther. He lived about 450 years ago. And he was a great theologian, brilliant. I mean, you talk brilliant, spoke several languages. He's the one who translated the, the Greek New Testament into German. I, I mean, if you're that, I mean, that's really difficult to do. And he, he's, he's brilliant. And he had this love of God. And I, I just want to show you what he wrote. Now, this is 450 years ago. It's really kind of cool. He said, I believe that God has created me. And all that exists. He's created all things. That he has given 
and still preserves my body and my soul, my eyes and my ears, my reason and all the power of my soul, together with food and clothing, home and family and all my property. That he daily provides abundantly for all the needs of my life. He protects me from all danger and guards me and keeps me from all evil. And that he does this purely out of fatherly and divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. For all of which I am duty bound to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. This is most certainly true. In Romans it talks about God. Now Romans was written by a guy named Paul. Romans 1.20 is the verse we're going to look at. And look at this. Paul writes this to Christians in a town called Rome. And he says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing him. In other words, everybody can know, should know, has no excuse for not knowing that there is a God. See, our God, He is a creator God. And you look at what He has created, the sun, the moon, the stars, the, the, the north star, the pulsars, the, the quasars, all the czars. Uh, he's done all that. Uh, and the Milky Way itself has 400, uh, estimated 400 billion stars. Have you ever heard that ad? Especially around Valentine's Day, uh, you can have a star named after you. Uh, here's what you should say to that. Whoopty stinking do. You know, they say you could be registered with, a, with a, some registry. I made up my own little certificate and gave it to Miriam. She never knew that. I mean, it's a, it'll work. It'll work for you guys. Me to you, brothers. I mean, I'm helping you. 400 billion stars in our galaxy. Now... These people who are supposed to know say that there are at least 100 billion galaxies. And each of these 100 billion galaxies is likely to contain 100 billion stars. Now, think about it. I mean, the number is so phenomenally large, you can't put your mind around it. Yet the Bible says this. God has determined the number of the stars and calls each of them by name. Ours is an awesome God. I can't remember my kids' names, and I've only got four. If you were hanging out with God and he was standing beside you and you would point to a star, he, it says here, has the, he could call them each by name. Oh, that's Sam, that's Fred, that's Jose. I mean, you know, he has every star name. It is an amazing thing, the magnitude of his knowledge. And here's what we must understand, that the fingerprint of God is all over the universe. If you were to come to my house when I wasn't home, let's say... I would invite you over, and i say, hey, the door's unlocked. Come on in and, and hang out until I get there. And, and you came in. You could know some things about me just by where I live. You'd walk in, and, and you could see some stuff. And, and you would say, well, he probably has a daughter or daughters because there's one bedroom, and it's decorated kind of girly. And, and you would probably recognize that we are into sports a little bit because there's an athletic calendar on the fridge, and there's sports equipment in the garage, and you'd kind of figure that out. And you might be able to, to discern that we like to read books because there's one room where we have bookshelves and, and lots of people in my house like to read books and we have a million books. And you might discern that we like to go backpacking or hiking because we have hiking shoes and backpacks and it makes sense. You might be able to discern that we have somebody connected with Switzerland because we have Swiss stuff hanging around. 
And you might be able to discern that we have some connection with Africa because we have some Africa artifacts hanging around. And I went to Africa on a mission trip one time and brought those home. You might be able to discern I'm from Kentucky because we have a still on the back porch. I mean, you know, there's stuff you can look at and know. And what the Bible says is, look at creation because God's fingerprints are all over it. When you look at the ocean, what do you see? It is vast and powerful. Have you ever thought to yourself, I I thought to myself, I don't want to get out on the ocean so far I can't see land. And you can. We lived in Michigan. Lake Michigan is huge. It is huge. And every year, without exception, people will get in Lake Michigan and drown because they don't respect the power. Now, one of the stupidest dad moments, and I have many. I have a catalog. This one really stupid dad moment. We had just moved to Michigan. It was Lake Michigan, and it was in the summer. There's about three days of the year you can actually get in the water when it's warm enough because it's so stinking cold, and it was one of those days. And the wind was blowing, and the waves were huge, and and me and three of the girls, at least was too little, but the rest of the girls, we got out in it. We were splashing around, and and the waves had come over our heads. And and I found out later there, there was a red flag on the beach. Evidently, that means something that I should have known. What that means is only really, really stupid people are in the water right now. That's what that means. Because they have undertow and people die every year because they don't respect the power of Lake Michigan. So when I see nature, I see power. And then beauty. Have you been to the mountains? I mean, we live... We can see the mountains, and I've been to the Rocky Mountains, and I've been to the Smoky Mountains, and I've been to the Alps, and the one thing they have in common is they are majestic. There is a majesty, and honestly, they provoke fear in my heart. I can't imagine being on a mountain at night and not having enough clothes and getting lost. I mean, I love to hike I love to hike by myself because you're kind of out there. But here's the, there's something about that as a man. There's something about that because you're out and you know if you like twist an ankle or something, you're going to die. And that's awesome. It's awesome to us. And wolves are going to eat your flesh. I mean, it's cool. There's, there's beauty, but it's also dangerous. Every snowflake, God's creativity is on display with every snowflake. Evidently, from what I understand and what I've read, every snowflake is distinct and unique. (laughs) I mean, we get, what, seven snowflakes a year here and we cancel school for a week? Uh, In Michigan, I mean, there was one year we had 128 inches of snow. I mean... God's creativity is much more on display there than here. And the galaxies, they they shout out, He is here. And then you see a field of wildflowers. We we lived in the desert in New Mexico, and in the spring rains, in the town I lived in in New Mexico, they got 13 inches of rain a year. It hardly ever rained. 
But when it rained in the spring, it was, it was unbelievable because these flowers that weren't there the day before, wildflowers were everywhere. It's like, where do they come from? Because this is rock and dirt and sagebrush. It's nothing. And it goes from nothing to, to this carpet of color. And in that, I see God saying, I'm here. And have you ever sat on your porch and listened to the birds call back and forth? They're saying God is here. God's left his fingerprint everywhere. Look at what it says in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. He is everywhere. And so that's why it says they have no excuse. There's no reason to not know about God. This is the reason in cultures all over the planet, every culture of mankind has some understanding of a supreme being. Though their conceptions might not all be the same, man is incurably religious by nature. We understand that there is something out there bigger than us. The French philosopher Pascal said, that inside the heart of every man there is a God-shaped vacuum. Augustine said, O Lord, you have made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, God has planted eternity in the hearts of humans, of every man. When we say that he, we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we are saying that we believe in a God who is everywhere. But when we say we believe in a Father Almighty, this is interesting. The Apostles' Creed, the the authors of this, are, are able to compress God's nature into two words, Father and Almighty. And on the surface, they don't seem to go together. Because when you think of Father, and, a, and, and let's think of only a good father, a father who's kind and compassionate and loves his kids. I know some of you didn't have that experience, and I'm sorry, but let's, for a moment, let's think about God as a good father. When we think about that, the word in the Greek is Abba, means daddy, papa. But the word almighty, it's this idea that comes from the, mostly from the Old Testament, honestly. And there's this, um, the word Shaddai is almighty. It's the Hebrew word Shaddai. And the first time it's introduced is in Genesis 17. And that's when um, God announces to Abram that he's going to have a child, even though he's extremely old, and even though his wife is extremely old. And Sarah is told that she's going to have a child. She's kind of over here. She's eavesdropping. uh, And and she laughs. And God basically says, "I'm, I'm telling you it's going to happen because my name is God Almighty. I can do Anything I want to do. Jesus put it this way. Oop, I went one too far. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is and who was and who is to come. I am the Almighty One. He is a Father, yes, but He's also Almighty. And they use, the the creed uses two different words. One, Father means He's intimate and personal. He's knowable. Uh, He's approachable. Uh, We can love him. 
Uh, that's a beautiful thing, but also he's God uh, Almighty. He's ultimate and powerful. Isaiah wrote the old, uh, a book in the Old Testament, and he writes this. It's a cool verse. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary or tired, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. I love the way Isaiah starts this. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? I mean, he's God Almighty. He can do whatever he wants. Which brings me to kind of the second point. If our God is Father Almighty, then we owe him respect and we owe him honor. He, he is not someone to be trifled with. And though he is our loving Father, he is also Almighty. And too many times we... We disrespect, or we hear people disrespecting. As a dad, if my girls heard somebody say something about me that they knew wasn't true, I would hope they would defend my honor. We have a God who is honorable, worthy of honor, and we should give him respect and honor. Let, let me show you. A verse that's sometimes misunderstood, and I'm going to really unpack it for you, okay? Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, the word fear there is a, a Hebrew word, yirat. Say it with me. Yirat. Now, see, when I say say it with me, that's what that's, you say it. Uh, it's confusing, I know. Uh, so say it with me. Yirat. Yeah, Y-I-R-A-T. Let me see if I have it on here. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Okay. It would have been easier if I had to let it up here. So uh, I'll give you a break. Okay. My bad. My bad. Now the Hebrew mind, again, we, we think in pictures. The Hebrew mind thinks in pictures. So when they see this word fear, they, they discuss this amongst themselves as there are kind of levels, kind of three levels of fear. So um, the fear of unpleasant circumstances. That's kind of basic yirats. That would be um, you haven't brushed your teeth for a year and you go to the dentist. Do you have yirat of the drill, all right? And you should, because if you haven't brushed your teeth in a year, uh, it's likely not to go well for you. Okay, so there's fear of circumstances, all right? The second kind of fear is the fear of facing God's judgment. That is, um, let me see, yirat hamachut. That's what it is right there. That's how you say it exactly. I'm sure. I'm sure that's how you say it. And, and we see it in verses like uh, 2 Corinthians where it says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged, which is yeah, uh, kind of intimidating. It's yurat, It's fearful. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good, evil, or, or, or evil we've done in this earthly body. So there's the yurat. There's a third level. And that's... Reverence or awe for someone. That has a Hebrew thing too. Let me see where it is. Yarat uh, Halmin. And it's the fear or the awe of the exalted. It would be like entering a room with somebody famous that you think is really cool 
Um, for me, that would be, yeah, nobody. Uh, but uh, but you know, maybe somebody, I don't know, you, you know, you enter the room with somebody you think is really cool and, and you kind of have this awe, you're kind of awestruck. That would be, you know, people, people with power, I mean, if you were to meet the governor, if you were to meet the president or you meet, you know, the vice president, sometimes when you enter that kind of situation, there's a certain awe about the situation. And so there's this idea around this that, that God is, is worthy of all. Look at the Hebrew words here. Um, the one on the top is yirat. You, you knew that. I know you knew that because you all read that. The one on the bottom is, is to see, ra'ah. And, and if you'll notice, they're very similar, right? A lot of the letters are the same. And the rabbis would say, when you see God, you're in awe of God. Their point is, when you begin to see God's hand in things, see God's hands everywhere. We just said it. Um, the fingerprints of God are, are, are in all things. When we begin to see the hand of God in all things, then we have this reverence and awe. And that's what they're talking about. The yirat of God isn't I'm scared of him because I'm afraid of punishment. It is I am in awe of him because of all he is able to do. The power he possesses. In fact, our all should also be because the most powerful being in the universe cares about me. I mean, honestly, if, if you were to get a message from the president and said, hey, I heard about you and I'm, I'm praying for you. I mean, to think... You know, one of the most powerful people on the planet knows who you are. Listen, more than that, much, much more than that. You, you have a God who created the universe and keeps it all running. He is a multitasker extraordinaire. And yet somehow, he cares about you. See, here's, there, there are two kind of poles on this. T too many people... Just see God as a judge, like he's mad at me. He's sitting on a throne, and he's waiting for me to mess up. And when I mess up, he's going to zap me, or he's going to cause bad things. Too many people have that idea of God, and that's wrong. It's not fair. However, there's this other side of this coin, and there are people who see God as, as just loving. He's never going to discipline. Uh, he's like a cosmic Santa, and he kind of winks at my sin, and he says, Well, boys will be boys. And that's equally dangerous. Let's go back to electricity just for a second. I love electricity. I like lights. My car, I start it because it has a battery, because it needs electricity. We have electrical currents running through our bodies. Electricity is awesome. And electricity is also fearful. Because near my home, there's a power line that's strung on these big metal poles. And if there were a tornado, a hurricane, something were to come through there, and those power lines were to fall near my home, I would be scared out of my mind. Because you know what they can do, right? I, I did a little research. Remember I told you I was changing out my outlet. It has 120 volts. Chris, is that right? 120 in, in your outlet. Uh, power lines have 765,000 volts. 6,000 times more. I remember what it felt like 
to touch 120 volts. The one thing I never want to know is what it feels like to touch 750,000 volts. 765,000, actually. I like electricity. <laughs> but uh, I use electricity. Electricity is beneficial. But it's also ominous. You see, there are too many people who treat God just flippantly. Jesus is my homeboy. Yeah, that doesn't go well for people who actually experience God. Let me, let's do a little quick survey of people who experienced God face-to-face. Three guys. A guy named Job. Job didn't, he had a bad go, man. You talk about, if you have a bad run going, read Job. Job, first couple of champers, and it'll make you feel better because you have never had a bad run like Job had a bad run. He lost his family, he lost his health, he lost his fortune. I mean, in one day. That's a bad day. You had a bad day, you ain't never had a bad day like Job had a bad day. So he starts to kind of mouth off at God. So God responds. Then the Lord says to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? (laughs) The answer here would be no, Uh, just so you know. Uh, You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? And then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hands. I'm going to just sit down and shut up. Moses, great man of God, gave the world the Ten Commandments. God used him mightily. Moses' first experience face-to-face with God is on the mountain, and there's this burning bush, and it's burning, but it's not being consumed. And so Moses goes over to see it. And then God says, Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to even look at God. You've got a guy named Isaiah who has this vision of heaven. And when he sees this vision of God on his throne, he says, Woe to me, I I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King of the Almighty. In the New Testament, we have Paul, and he has this experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and the Bible tells us that he falls on the ground, and he is blind for three days, and he is overwhelmed. You have in the book of Revelation, John, who sees the risen Lord in a vision, and it says, now this is John, who was Jesus' best friend. When he sees Jesus exalted, it says that he fell at his feet as if he were dead. To experience the might of God is an awesome thing. And we shouldn't blow past that. Some people will say, well, I, I just I don't believe in a God of wrath. Listen, that, it's just foolish. Love and wrath go together. And this is how I know. As a dad, if somebody messes with my girls, look, I, I am a man of love. I, I, I don't watch movies and think I'd like to blow somebody away. However, if you mess with my girls, you mess with my wife, I will come at you with the weapons I've assembled right here. I mean, I will make it happen. I will throw down. I am willing to lose my job and begin prison ministry from the inside. 
if you mess with my girls. Because love and wrath simply must go together. Because I love, I'll protect. God loves us. Yes, He absolutely adores you. But He is a a Father Almighty. And He is worthy of our love and our respect. Here's how I know how much God loves you and me. The Bible tells us. I want to end with a verse. God's love and holiness placed Jesus on the cross. Look at Romans 3, 23 and following. All of us, that's you and me, have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But God treats us much better than we deserve because He is our Father. You as a father, you fathers in this room, have you ever treated your kids better than they deserved? Absolutely. Has your daddy ever treated you better than you deserve? Probably. My dad was a great father. And part of what made him great was he didn't give me everything I deserved. But God treats us much better than we deserve. And because of Jesus Christ, he freely accepts us and sets us free from our sin. God sent Christ because he loves us to be our sacrifice. And Christ offered his life's blood so that by faith in him we could come to God. He is our father and he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. And he is almighty and because he's almighty, somebody had to pay for our sin. And our God who loves us made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. It is amazing. I believe in God, almighty maker of heaven and earth. He is awesome and powerful and he loves us. Father, We are humbled that you know our names and that you care about us. We are humbled, God, that you love us, that you sent your son for us. We see your hand everywhere. I pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to see you working all around Open our hearts to your love. Open our minds to the fact that there is wrath. But you made a way. We love you for that. Thank you for taking care of us as a loving father. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.